Welcome to Pablo Held Investigates, where I talk to my musical heroes and peers about their creative process and their music. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting me at patreon.com slash pabloheld. And to keep informed about the interviews, my music and everything else that I'm up to, subscribe to my newsletter at pabloheld.com. Okay, let's start investigating. What I wanted to talk to you about is um, something that I get from your time and also from your sound, your, your feel. It's weird to say that, but it feels very alive. Mm. You know, you're not just hitting a skin and it makes a sound. It's it's very lively. And yeah. uh, the same thing with your time. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I was just thinking about how, I think it was last night, the delirious state of not being able to sleep. But I was thinking about keeping time, like with someone like Brad. It's like if I'm playing a ballad, that beat one has this energy all the way until it gets to beat two, and then that has all the energy that. So it's like it's just crucial that that sense of time or that beat or whatever that place that I'm traveling through is really, really upheld in an intense way. Mm -hmm. You know, but how do you do that? I just give it as much focus as possible. You know. Mm -hmm. I'm just paying attention as much as possible. Really, really, it's it's just you can't take your eye off of it, mm. you know. And so it's amazing what the mind can do. You know, we can multitask. So I know I'm at the bridge. I know I'm at the last day. I know people are doing this. I know that I'm doing this. But still, there's this other element of no weak spot between here and to there, you know. Mm. There's no turning away from it or being distracted at all, you know. Mm -hmm. It's all, you know, 120% all the way from one to the next. Mm. And I think some of that came from Ray Charles. Some of that came from when I was playing with Buddy Montgomery. There's mm. a nice time I had with him when we were playing uh, Misty. And it was in a, a hotel, uh, Parker Meridian in, in New York. And I'm playing, you know. And he leans over and he says, Jeff, uh, Jeff. <laughs> he says, I can get somebody else to play with me if you don't want to play. Wow. While playing. While we were playing. So basically, I was just watching the people walking by. We're playing Misty, you know. And he felt it. He just felt there was no energy there. So he says, I need 120%. You know, I need everything mm. all the time. So a couple of couple of big spanks like that were very profound for me. Yeah. You know, being present, being there and holding on and not letting go to, to that kind of an energy. So if you pay attention to it all the way through, it's alive. I like you're saying, I'm guessing, you know, it's got this kind of energy to it that I'm giving to it. I definitely am very occupied with that kind of thing. You know, I, I, I really don't like it when it kind of sags. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a weird feeling. It's a yeah, it's something that I'm allergic to you know mm -hmm. so i'll immediately snap it up in some way or another mm -hmm. you know that's important to me but i tell you one thing for as far as sound and like beat and, and things like that about 15 years ago i stumbled on something for the longest time you know i'm playing okay you know i could swing fine you know i played a lot to count Basie records you know and I, I could swing it was really not a thing but when I was trying to play some funk I didn't have a pocket at all you know I sounded like a corny jazz guy <laughs> trying to play funk you know there was no butt to it you know no round seat to it at all mm -hmm. no pocket really or it was a weak one and then I also noticed if I'm striking something there's this little little hint of a, of a hesitation 
a resistance of some sort, you know? Yeah. So for years, I, I knew that was there, and I just kind of felt like, ah, you know. That hesitation point, did you did you notice that through watching a video or, or uh, experiencing no, sensation. sensation while playing? Yeah. 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 But yeah. there's a... Not there... so much on the swing, you know, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. yeah. That I didn't have. That was, I could swing and fit in that. But if it was some sort of funk or even I was playing a lot of Latino music, some Afro-Cuban stuff, and it was okay, but it was there. There was some sort of, of a, a resistance. I found out later that's because I'm trying to place it, you know, yeah. trying to put it somewhere. And so if you're trying to put it somewhere, there's a bit too much mind in a way. You know, mm. there's a, there's a the connect between here and, and here. Too slow, then. It's too slow, right on. You know, I'm I'm always wondering, like, what the heck, what the heck, you know, and I'm tapping along on the car door to, to some Stevie Wonder, you know, and I look at my arms, man, that looks so terrible, you know. It just doesn't, it's, you know, I noticed this, well, there's that feeling, and I looked at it, and it was just horrible. No dance, no, no good move at all. So, of course, the first thing I did was I started hitting it harder, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, so it got a little more solid, but still there was that resistance, you know. So I, I'm watching Elvin Jones count off a tune from the other side of the club. I'm sitting at the other side of the club, and he's counting off a tune with his heel on the yeah. hi-hat. And I felt that in my chair. You know, I felt that travel across the floor. I swear to God. I mean, it was incredible, you know. Yeah. So he just cut through that thing, you know. Or the hi-hat would go click, shit, you know, go yeah. click, you know. I saw a buddy of mine, uh, Jimmy Green. Great mm -hmm. saxophone player, yeah. He's clapping, you know. And it was like two trees colliding, you know. It, unstoppable. I saw Brian play, Brian Blade. He played something where he went around the set. And it's just, you know, take a boom, you know. Boom. Four and a one, you know. Well, there it is too, man. I, it's there. I see that. I see it, you know. Finally, I see this video by Tony Williams. I think it's in Texas. And he's got the yellow uh, drum set. The yeah. matching jump the jumpsuit, yeah. yeah. And he talks about what's the hardest thing about playing. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he says, picking up the stick because you're fighting gravity. Letting it fall down is a ride. And it goes, bing. Mm -hmm. So... I spent the next two years trying to sort that out, you know, mm -hmm. and basically it's super hard to let go and let your arm fall down. Yeah. You know, so it is the hardest part. So right now my arm is dead. Yeah, it's dead. So picking it up is hard. Yeah. But so immediately you, you have to let go of all the tension. It's coming out of this tendon here right so that that flickers picks your arm up but then you've let go again mm. so this is just inertia it's just flying up and then crack it falls down man you couldn't stop me from practice I, I mean i'm not a, i was never a big practicer I, I really enjoy it now but uh then was man it was perfect for me yeah. there were so many things you know i had gone through issues with my my wrists and my posture and a lot of a lot of stuff I'm smiling, man, because around the same time, the same thing happened to me. <laughs> my teacher, my teacher showed me a way to overcome tendonitis, and and grounded my whole technique in relaxation of the arm and using the natural body weight of the arm. 
you know that's, what and, I pre- that's my preach right there yeah. that's what i say beautiful and it's yeah, it's always so great to to see that in different people with different journeys to the same to the same uh, solution right yeah, and sure. his his thing was always about uh, finding different mindsets to arrive at the to remind yourself of how heavy your arm actually is and he yeah. he was one thing that i always have in mind is um because your sound gets so much bigger when you when you when you're doing it unbelievable uh, and um he he told me that the the guys who do karate and hit through wood you know they yeah. ima- they imagine their arm is like meters long like 10 meters long and then he asked me like okay imagine your, if your arm is 10 meters long try to wow. lift it try to lift it and i was like yeah sure and he was like come on man be serious <laughs> yeah, be serious yeah, yeah. if it's 10 meters long you can't lift it but try to fight try to fight it and lift it and then after a while you know also when your arm is asleep you yeah. you're lying on your arm and you realize like oh shit this is super heavy exactly but it's just what i teach everybody i mean this is a big thing for me and and if yeah. they, they if they're ready for it okay if they're not ready for it i can't force them too much i try to force them for a bit but most of the guys if they're their 20s they're not ready for it you know they haven't hit i don't know that quiet place yet because you got to be quiet for this you know mm-hmm but you know like holding it like this yeah, yeah, yeah. fall or or you know you have you have just underneath you pick it up or you get a a string you tie it around something and you pull it up you know any kind of way to div- divorce yourself from your limb but my big point i stress for this is it's not that you can do it the question is what does it feel like what did that just feel like so it's starting to talk to you Instead of your saying, oh, okay, this is it, I'm doing it. I'd much prefer the receiving the information than telling the information. Mm. And in that sense, even with my legs and with my arms, it's, it's what did that feel like? Okay. And I don't need a, a long uh, paper on that feeling. I just, what does it feel like? Yeah. Physically and, and then translating it musically. How did that feel? What did that feel like? What did that feel like? You know, to just do that really slow like it's like lifting weights you know whoop bam what did that feel like you chew on it you chew on it okay next do it again what it's, does that feel like saves the feeling right that you can access it exactly you're reprogramming your cellular memory you know for me it was like 20 years of playing this one way where i was completely controlling all the time and, and so now i needed to reprogram so another very important aspect was, um, you know, irregularity. It had to be every day, mm. you know, it didn't have to be for hours and hours, but it had to be every day where you go in and you visit that place so you can access it much more readily, you know, mm. man, it just changed up so much. You know, the way I sat was my left leg was farther back. My right leg was farther forward. Mm. So basically my lower half was facing this way and the rest of the drums were facing straight ahead, you know? So I was twisting. A lot of drummers do that. You know, they get right behind the bass drum, the ability with the right foot, but then the poor left foot is kind of crushed back. And, and then, okay, if you get hit the floor, Tom, you're already twisting, you know? So all this body awareness, because it was like a magnifying glass, you know, mm. on every aspect. You do the same thing. If I pick up my, my arm and my leg at the same time, they come down at different times because my leg is more heavy than my arm. So then if I want them to come down at the same time without my controlling it, the only control I have is when I start it, right? So I'll start my arm and just as it's coming down, I'll lift up my leg and let that, and then they'll meet. Yeah. 
it's another kind of independence in a way, you know? So all of that, you know, straightened me out. It opened my, my thing up, made the sound better, made my articulation much better. Ultimately, it got that pocket, you know? Mm. It got this fatter backbeat thing to it. So like you said, the sound gets bigger. With the drums, I th- I'm sure with every instrument, but the, there's just more harmonics, more overtones. You know, the shell resonates, the bottom head resonates even more, you know, all of that. And it's less work in the end. There's so much less work. God, yeah, yeah. And the balance, what I ended up doing was was playing eighth note triplets. And then on beat one and two and three and four, I would lift up my arm a little higher. Mm. But the tempo was like 10 or 15 beats per minute. You know, very, 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 very slow. Wow. So you go bang. And then that's the second triplet. <laughs> you know, that's the second triplet, the third triplet. And then boom, right? The sense of lifting weight and moving it around and what it does to your body's balance was was revolutionary for me it mm. really it was huge it was huge for me it it took care of a lot of my bad habits a lot of bad habits you know and now when they kind of come around if there's something that doesn't really work in that correct way physically the alarm sound and I'll say oh what you know basically it's just relax yeah you know? yeah is it something that your peers then noticed in you like Hey man, you're doing something different, or was it also something that you were vocal about with with the people you were working with, or did you have to figure it out on your own? Definitely figure it out on my own. You know, often through teaching, I'll, I'll, I'm asked, you know, is this right? And there aren't those answers, you know, in this kind of music. There isn't that kind of, you know, it's, yeah. big, it's a bigger, longer dialogue with yourself and your music. It's a different thing. But this thing i can say is a golden tool i gotta mm-hmm. say you know it's a really great way of, it's a great practice you know if you practice this way i made it into a huge practice you know i want it to be a 360 degree application and so i just picked triplets because that's alternating had this all basic natural law to it you know if you've got one side and you've got another side and you give a rhythm of three then alternation occurs in that naturally way, you know? yeah Right. So, yeah, you can go one, two, three, four. But if you go one, two, yeah. three, it's got some other Yeah, it's moving activity. around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm a gradual kind of growing guy, you know. It was natural and easy for me at the very beginning. And and then I hit these walls and I had some regrouping to do. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just kind of a, a long climb, which I'm happy about. That's fine. As long as it's moving along. Yeah. <laughs> But now, how is it when you when you listen back to old recordings? I miss some stuff, you know. I miss some stuff when I listen back. I miss some of this, um, I don't know, dangerous, uh, uncaring fire kind of thing. And, you know, what I've mellowed with more efficient moves and ergonomic play. And sometimes I feel like, well, some of that spark that was youth, youthful, mm. you know, isn't there. But most of the time, I much prefer this uh, more profound statement than this kind of crazy, yahoo, let's let's go for it. <laughs> but that's kind of what Fairgrounds was also allowing to happen, too, if I wanted it. Uh-huh. Yeah, but also in your in your own music, you kind of, it seems to me, now having heard this story, it's a more conscious thing to go in that pocket direction at times, you know, to, to really enjoy that, that, yeah. that feeling. I enjoy it so much now. It's a body thing and it's dancing and there's more to it now. It's not just a cerebral idea. You know, it's not just an idea now. It's no, no, it's the groove is taking on a form, you mm. know, a 
physical form. Yeah. And the same with whatever now. And if I want it to be um, a more of a rigid kind of feeling, I can do that too, right? Because mm. we're not going to always play, you know, with this kind of, I mean, you could have a beat that's got a, a bottom like this, or you've got a beat that's like this too, right? It's going tack, yeah. tack, you know? So it depends. But now I've got this other thing for the, for the arsenal. Yeah, later on maybe. Did you talk to your drumming peers about that and their thoughts about that and and how how they approached it? Yeah, if anybody if anybody's interested, I'm going to start laying this on them actually because it yeah. will change me up forever. Let's see. I was talking with Obed about this, mm -hmm. and he was super honored to hear it and get it. You know, he was he was, and he said he's going to go into it too. Um, Nate uh, Wood wants to to talk about it. He was going to do a a little Skype chat and talk about this kind of thing because a student of mine was talking with him and showing him what was going on and yeah but younger guys i'll preface it and say you know look man, i'd like to show you something i think it'll help you if you're into it you know mm. yeah it's it's really great man it's super great as you know it's super great mm. i mean to get someone to just rest their arm in your hand is a work already you know so, yeah no, no no let it go let it go no let yeah, it, yeah. if i take my hand away your arm's gonna stay up there Yeah, it's really weird. True. Uh, I've noticed people always talk about warming up before a concert, and my warming up is just walking to the concert and trying to feel how heavy my arms are. You know, you're walking <laughs> from the nice. hotel to the venue, and all you're doing is just, oh man, so heavy. And then you go to the to the instrument, and you can just let go after that. You know. Yeah, I think all, so many muscles and ligaments and supporting tendons and all are activating you know when we do that they can let go or they're, they're you know what i mean they're yeah like you're warming up yeah they're being activated you know i mean the thing is man it's it's like an event when it happens you know if you're gonna pick up and come down it's an event man it's it takes that much time to happen mm. right so things are moving in this big profound way so tempo You know, everything is moving in this bigger sense. It's more of an eventful thing than just uh, superficial. Like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. No, man. It's, this feels like this and it's leading to this. It's all connected with the physicality, mm. which is, you know, I think it's a huge element in our music, which more and more, you know, it's it's not being uh, recognized or, or, or accentuated, you know. I mean, you don't get it on a record. You mm -hmm. don't get it, really. You don't get it at all. You don't get the feeling the air's moved. You know? Yeah, it's true. And this is this is the big. This is huge. It's huge. You know, people talk about sound, and yeah, what is sound? You know, <laughs> it's that <laughs> air, right? Mm. So for me, it was the biggest biggest change it happened uh, when I was about forty. Wow. So, yeah, it's beautiful. It was really ready, you know, it was it was it was ready. I had to. You know, like I said, problems with my wrist and just, I was used to play like this a lot. You know, if you see some old yeah. video. Yeah, I, I saw videos. Yeah. And the thing is, when you're relying on your body weight of your arms, you can sit like this because you're yeah. lifting them already. If you're letting yeah. go, you're sitting like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I heard this interview with somebody talked about working with Robert De Niro and you said, The biggest thing is to to really know how every muscle in your face works in order to be conscious about it, and then you can start acting. You know, wow. You know th that comes to all the, the the lessons about listening 
you know, but the physicality of, of acting um, to getting very, very conscious about your whole, you know, apparatus, you know. Yes, sir. And the yeah, same, yeah. same thing for us, in a way. Yeah, oh, interesting. I like mm. that. You, you talked about Larry before. I, I want to know a little bit about your relationship and how you work together. Do you go through phases of working on particular stuff while on tour? Mm. Or is it something yeah. that goes more natural and more unconscious? Yeah, it's, it's definitely that. It's just more matter of fact. Mm. The only times we've ever worked on something was back in the early 90s in New York. He came over to the house and talked about playing tune four on a hi-hat, how that was making it feel, and if I played quarter notes on the hi-hat, and kind of differences of, of what it felt like with different beats, you know? And that was the only time that we really worked on something. Mm. When we were teaching together, we were trying to give a demonstration of how one would be on top of the beat while the other one's behind the beat, or vice versa, right? But we we just couldn't do it. We, we kept... <laughs> We kept crossing each other up, you know. So our thing is much better um, unspoken, mm. you know, how we deal with stuff. Mm. I mean, he's he's my oldest friend, you know. Yeah. I've known him forever, 35 years or so we've been playing. And he, he's taught me a, a hell of a lot, you know. He's, mm. a, he's a young man, not so young anymore, but he's he's got an old, old, old spirit. Mm. Can you talk wise. about some of the stuff you learned from him? You know, I think there's some things in playing, you know, like the gravity of playing, you know, not the not the weight of it, but the seriousness of it, the totality of it, you know, how it's just everything. When it's going on, everything is being absorbed and heard, you know, that kind of um, big ear, head, you know, it's like one big brain with an ear attached to it, you know, that was huge for me. Also, a variety of genres as well. You know, when I went over to his house, he says, man, come over, come over, I'm going to show, show you something. And he's playing me uh, Dream of the Blue Turtles, was it? That Sting record? Mm -hmm. Bring on the Night. Yeah. He, he, he turned me on to that. Turned me on to some uh, Weather Report, which I didn't really have too much uh, contact with. Mm. But this was like early 80s. He opened me up to that. He gave me Mahler's Night. Gave me Word of Mouth. Wow. So musical stuff he opened up to me, you know, with different styles of stuff. But I think the most precious for me is the, I mean, the seriousness of it, but, but that it's, it's actuated, you know, it's not just, you know, oh, you know, high respect to the music. No, no. It's just like, you meet it, you, you, you bring this intensity to it and it's everything and it's always going on, always mm. going on. He's incredible, man. He's incredible. I mean, he's a massive student of the of the music, you know. Mm. He's still, like, he'll send me, every now and then he'll send me some videos, some interviews of Lewis Hayes or Max Roach or yeah. Philly Joe Jones. Or he sends me some excerpts from a book he's reading, which is, you know, the history of Blue Note Record. He's been surfing on, on YouTube, finding, you know, the most way out shit that you know, <laughs> ever. So that kind of focus and attention to it is, is huge. Mm. He also opened me up in a big way to the world of literature as well. Mm. So that was a, right. a big one too. I loved reading, but he brought it to a little more intense place. He introduced me to someone like a writer, a French writer called George Perec is part of a group that Italo Calvino was a part of as well. You know, this is Italian writer. No. Calvino was Italian, Perec, French, and they were part of a group called Olipo. Mm -hmm. which is standing for Exploring the Potentials in Literature. It's a French group. 
Mm-hmm. And they just do crazy things like uh, Calvino wrote a story using tarot cards as a, as the way to make the story move along. And this guy, Perec, he wrote a book without using words that have the letter E in it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> right? Well, we should try that in German. It's, Man. That's hard. He wrote it in French, and then someone from the same group translated it into English. With the same concept. The wow. Same concept. <laughs> wow. And then he wrote another. I mean, it was a nice book. It was called Avoid. Avoid or Avoid, you know. A Void. Yeah. Yeah. But then the story is about someone who's disappeared. Of course, it's a mystery. Then he wrote another book using words that only had the letter E in it, <laughs> which was much smaller. Was sure, like, yeah. The bicycle theft or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, for me, a big, big one that we got into is Henry Miller and, mm. and Burroughs. And uh, there's just so many. Yeah, um, that's cool. So, yeah. I want to talk to you about Chick, how it was to work with Chick. And lessons you've learned from him and, and how, sure. how, it, how you got to play with him and what stuff you always go back to when you listen back or when you think back on the time you worked with him, like stuff uh-huh. that you got out of him that you're still utilizing. Yeah, well, the biggest one for me was having the sound on the stage. When we were playing with the sextet with the Origin, he really didn't want monitors being used. For everyone. Know, for everyone. Yeah. But he was so far away that I did need a little bit of piano in there. Mm. So what I do, and I do it to this day, is I have just as much of piano here as I can hear from here. So it's a little on one side, yeah, and a little on this side. So it's still fairly acoustic. Yeah, you know? that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then the rest is, if I can't hear the sounds, then I'm too loud. You know? mm. So the big lesson for me was, was realizing that level of sound wasn't like, you know, mezzo forte is like three or three and a half you know it was volume was a measurement of filling up space just like liquid Mm. so i'm thinking in terms of of how much space is being filled up so it's not necessarily loud either it could be that being very busy fills up a lot of space Mm. so then you can't hear you know yeah so that was huge that was super huge for me you know one accent goes a long way There was some funny stuff. He he said at one point near the beginning there when I first started playing, he pulled me aside and he says, "Hey man, sounds sounds cool, man. Hey man, can you give me some more Connors? Some more what? Connors. Connors. Yeah, and I'm thinking, yeah, man, some Connors. You know, because Elvin, uh, uh, Roy, they give me some Connors too. You know, you know, on the end of four after eight bars, and what he's saying is corners, but with a Boston accent. I'm thinking like Jim Connors, the tennis yeah. player, you know. Yeah. So what he needed was to feel some sort of security in a way, you know. I think that I'm hearing and I'm doing what he's asking, but I'm not. Because, you know, I'm coming from playing with Kurt and just open free playing with a lot of different guys. And I'm not worried about making eight bar phrases. I kind of skipped, you know. I went from big band to just like whatever. <laughs> and so I think that I didn't have a good handle on phrasal structures in a way phrasal playing you know it kind of gives an architecture to the song more right it really does it really really does so to be so on it that's also not so great but to lack it to not have it enough you need it you know you Mm -hmm. need it i'm a big believer of that so that was big as well and one thing i'll never forget is that you know we play it could happen to you Every time we play that, 
he'd do an intro, you know, and every single time it was different. And so over four years of playing the same stuff for three years, um, I'm with Steve Wilson, you know, and got to the point of like, we just look at each other and say, man, it, it's still different. It's, another one's different. Another one time it's Fats Waller. One time it's, you know, playing inside the piano. Yeah. Even before his butt hits the bench, he's already playing the thing, you know. <laughs> So I think he just kind of jumps and deals with the fall as he's falling. Mm. So I really like that a lot. I like that a lot. So there's a few yeah. things like that that really, really was cool. I what? had a good time with him. Yeah, six, I'm sure. Six years was really good. It sounds like it. It sounds yeah. like it. Why do you think the flat ride fits him so well? Is it because we know it so well from now he sings, now he sobs? Or is it something about that particular sound that makes, I don't know. Yeah. I think part of it is I are imposing that on, but, but he asked me to play it, you know. He had Zildjian make a batch of them, so I had a couple, and he asked me to use it as part of my set, you know. So he, so, he must have an idea about that it really sounds good with him. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it matches his attack, you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah, and it doesn't get in the way also, I think. Right. It's very, very a clear bell, sound. Like a, you know, he was telling me, like, that bell is just going bing, 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 bing. Mm -hmm. But it's also ruthless. I mean, if somebody can't play, it's noticeable, you know, right away on the on the flat ride because it's totally. ruthless doesn't... is a great word for it. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't cover up anything. You got your bare bones beat right there. Mm -hmm. And if it ain't swinging, boy, yeah, very obvious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I couldn't use it in any other bands, though. I tell you, you didn't. No, I tried, and it just was not working. Mm -hmm. Not working. I think it really had something to do with his attack and the way he moves around on that. Yeah. What are the things that you are checking out at the moment? You know, this book is killing me. The Swing Years. Okay. Who wrote it? This is guy Bert Corral. Okay. Drumming Men. Yeah. This Great. is killing me. Basically, it's a bunch of reminiscences from people that have played with Joe Jones and Baby Dodds and Sid Catlett and mm. Chick Webb. And man, I mean, now I'm using this book to actually teach, too. Um, In what way? I, I read the stories and I talk about it, you know. Like, for instance, there's one where uh, Roy Eldridge is talking about Joe Jones and how when they broke down to the rhythm section just tipping along how joe jones wouldn't play four on the floor on the bass drum but he used the heel of his right foot and clicked that you know mm. so immediately i heard a wooden stage an old ludwig bass drum beater you know bass mm. drum pedal and i heard that sound i heard that sound i know that sound and yeah. it's exactly what was happening you know yeah i mean you're reading words and memories of a, the second alto player in Jimmy Lutzford's band. You know, you hear all these recordings and they're so anonymous, all this stuff, mm. you know, because of the quality. And, and here you got guys talking about guys. It becomes more three-dimensional and personal. And I, I love it. I, lo I really recommend it to, to anybody. You know, that chair, the drummer's chair, in a way, I mean, you talk about huge evolution in the 30s. Huge, man. Yeah, yeah. And the big part of it was Chick Webb. You know, almost him alone was, was huge. We wouldn't have Kenny Clark and Max Roach or mm. Art Blakey without Chick, in a way. Something else would have happened, of course. But as I understand it from reading this thing, it's like Chick was the guy who decided to start playing along with the horn lines, like to accentuate the horns. 
yeah. with the horns as well, which wasn't done hardly at all. Mm -hmm. If the drummers had anything, they'd do a splash at the end of the tune or something like that. Mm -hmm. you know? But to pick up and support the band with other things and other parts of the kit or do a fill around the thing that would set up the... I mean, this was all like invented by this guy who died when he was like maybe 30-something. Oh, great. I'll, I'm yeah. going to get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Actually, it's something that is connected to Larry again. I'm wondering what you expect from a bassist. Well... I mean, I want him to stand on his own. Do not come over on me and try to mirror my thing, mm. you know? I don't want someone to, you know, try to be with me. I want that person to play the beat where they feel it, and I'm playing the beat where I feel it, and then we make this thing with that kind of difference, you know? Yeah. That's what I have to have, for mm. sure. And I love it when, it doesn't have to happen, but I love it when he stops walking. You know, you can stop and, you know, or do whatever you're doing. You can stop. And Joe Sanders does that quite a bit. You know, we're playing along and all of a sudden, whoa, you stopped. And he's just got his bass, you know, he's like hanging out like, yeah, go ahead. You know, <laughs> kind of riding it, you know. I like that kind of disruptive thing, mm. you know, because it keeps you on your toes or whatever. I don't know. So just that they're standalone, you know, that's with anybody, you know, if a saxophone player is like that, if they're leaning too much on me or leaning too much on the bass player or leaning too much on whoever, I don't know, bro, you got to stand up on your own, you know, we'll make much better music if you do that. Yeah, being self-sufficient and still, still and add something to the mix instead of just ghosting it or hiding in the shadows or something like that. Right? Mm. Maybe you can highlight some more of your remembrances of seeing your idols, the people you looked up to that changed you. You know, I think we all have these go-to memories uh -huh. uh, of special concerts that we saw where we learned a particular little thing that became a seed for something really, really big. You know? Sure. An early one was seeing a German named Eddie Marshall, mm -hmm. who was in San Francisco. He played with uh, Bobby Hutchison and Bobby McFerrin. His great-great-grandfather was Kaiser Marshall, who used to play with Fletcher Henderson. Wow. And he was the guy that is credited to making the hi-hat from being a sock symbol to being an actual hi-hat, like building the machine. That, oh, wow. That we know, the modern-day hi-hat. Mm -hmm. He was a great drummer. So Eddie was coming out of the school of Tony, and I had never seen anybody like that, ever. There was a guy that was big in my life who was a, a piano player, Smith Dobson. Mm -hmm. And he would take me on Tuesdays and I'd go and, and sit in and, and play his jazz gig, you know. And that was a great, great time, great lesson. And on Sundays at this same place, they'd have a jazz, someone that was playing in San Francisco, and they'd come down to this club, kind of part of a tour, right? So you could see Freddie Hubbard or, you know, whoever, right? And so I went down to go see Bobby Hutchison. And... Eddie Marshall was playing drums, man. And I had never seen four limbs moving like that, you know. Mm. Just amazing. Just amazing. He wasn't so, you know, technically proficient like Tony, but he had four limbs going on. And he had he had just that kind of dialogue going on. And that just lit my world. That was huge. Like, wow, you could do it like that. You know, I'd coming out of big band and seeing uh, Butch Miles was great, but that's kind of like a Buddy Rich thing, and, and that's all cool, but not my call, you know, it's not calling me. So this, this was like, wow, that's that's some bad modern drumming there for me. I dig that. He was big for me, and another huge, huge one for me was Donald Bailey. Mm -hmm. 
watching Duff play was like my brain melted. <laughs> yeah. Really heavy, man. Do you know this recording of him with Coltrane? Donald Bailey and Train. You know, um, Ethan just sent me something. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty happening, huh? It's pretty damn happening. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, man. He's so unique, you know. He had a snare drum that was like this, you mm. know. At an angle like that, he'd play like this, you know. <laughs> his hi-hat was like underneath his knee, you know. He was really like torqued up. and Things were all bent out of shape. I have a big picture of him downstairs in my room. Mm. He's an idol of mine. The way his beat was, was like the funkiest straight flat out swing I'd ever heard, you know. Mm. Like Billy swung with more of a swing than Duck. And Blackwell also had that flat out ticketing, 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 you know. Mm. Duck was just extreme in that. It was almost straight eights, really. Yeah. And he had everything going on all at the same time. It's like Can you explain that paradox? Like yeah, why does it why does it swing so hard <laughs> uh, well, when it's I, I think if, that if even you try to play a bird melody and you try to swing it, it doesn't sound as good as if you just play it straight. Yeah. Right? So it's where the notes lie, the high and low note, you know? Yeah. Or the funkiness of it, you know, ding checka ding checka bing checka bing checka ding bing ding checka bing. I mean that's twigs. Daba 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 daba. Is that da 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 da? It's not short notes. They're long legato. But I think inflection makes it do that. Yeah. Which is like all over the place, all over the little little subtle nuance of inflection makes it happen. When we try to make it swing, very often it it just it's like yeah, it's the worst. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're being over dramatic. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just stupid. <laughs> Duck is like if you're looking at the dryer, the clothes dryer, and you see these clothes going around. You know, sometimes they're bunched together, sometimes they're spread out, sometimes a big shirt comes across the middle. You know, mm. so all that stuff is what what he plays. You know. Yeah. But the hole that's in the center of that, that's his beat. That's his groove. Mm. It's deep, man. Like his two and four on the hi-hat is consistent all the time. You know? Mm -hmm. But it, it's blended in with the kit somehow. I think blend is huge, you know? I don't think we give it enough thought in a lot of ways, you know? If you blend it, it's great. It can be mm. perfect. You mean blend within the set or blend yeah. within the ensemble? In the set and, yeah. and as well in the ensemble, in the yeah. total total thing of it all, you know? Deep. It's really deep. So, Duck, he's coming out of playing behind Carmen McRae for many years, or Jimmy Smith, or, or Hampton what's your Hawes. Favorite, what's your favorite recording of him? Some of the Hampton Hawes stuff is good. Mm -hmm. But there's one that I really love. It's Father and, and, and His Daughter. That's her record. Is amazing cuts on there. I'll remember it. I'll, I'll let you know. I, I, I'll think about it. And I will let you know for sure. Oh, yeah, great. Maybe I can yeah. put it here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hey, man, I want to thank you for doing this. Uh, it's really yeah, great to talk to you. Do it again, I'm totally down, man. Wow. Make it better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I enjoy talking with you. It's great. Cool. Same here. <laughs>